My name is Erin Weideman, and you are listening to Heroes for Her. This series features candid conversations with real women who strive to balance their professional acumen with their personal values. Join me as I interview positive female role models who are working hard, loving others, and inspiring the next generation of girls to serve their unique purpose. Hey, everybody. Before we get to today's episode, a quick announcement on the Bible Bells front. We are so excited to announce that our third book, Abigail, the Bell of Bravery, will be out in time for Christmas. Through the story of Abigail, Rooney learns that she can call upon the courage of God to face any problem with the confidence that he will see her through it. Head over to BibleBells.com and pre-order your copy today. All pre-ordered books will be autographed and they'll include a free Abigail devotional for mom and daughter. Welcome to today's episode of Heroes for Her. My guest today is Lisa Bevere. Lisa is a sought-after international speaker. She's a best-selling author of several books, Lioness Arising, My Favorite Girls with Swords, and Fight Like a Girl. Her newest book, though, is called Without Rival, and it is by far one of the most empowering, inspiring books out there for women and the next generation of girls today. If you have not picked this book up, you need to. I'm so excited that Lisa's here to share it with us. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hey, Erin. I'm so excited to be with you, and I need to apologize ahead of time. I don't normally have the sexy of a voice, (laughs) but I did seven services over the weekend in Australia, got on a plane and brought home a sexy voice. But it's gonna be it's gonna be better by tomorrow. So I have a sexy voice without rival for you. We love it. And actually it's it's funny too, because we know how busy you are. So we just appreciate you being here to share with us. No, it's awesome. So I want to jump into your new book, which releases this month. It's called Without Rival. And just give you a chance to talk about what inspired you to write this book. I had to read this book in several different sittings because I couldn't stop crying. It just impacted me so profoundly and spoke straight into my heart for just the things that girls go through, things like constant comparison and just confusion about your own identity and what God's purpose is for you and on and on and on. And I just want to give you a chance right now to, to talk to us about what inspired you to write this book and why you felt it was needed. Well, first and foremost, I'll just be honest, I don't do jet lag well. <laughs> and so I was working on, on Girls with Swords and I fell asleep at my laptop. I know that because of eight pages later of the letter, letter T, I woke up and I was like, wow, I'm going to be pretty useless right now. Anything I write will just have to be edited and deleted. So I'm going to go lay down. And here's what happened, Aaron. Right when I was falling asleep, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I do not love my children equally. And I sat up and I was like, wait a minute, that's blasphemy. That's jet lag blasphemy. I just heard blasphemy. <laughs> and so I actually out loud said, you have to love us all the same. If you don't love us all the same, it wouldn't be fair. And he said, same implies that one of you are replaceable. Mm. Equal means that my love can be measured. And he said, trust me, it is immeasurable. He said, I have loved you. I I loved you before you were alive, and I will love you after you no longer walk this earth. He said, I do not love my children equally. I love them uniquely. And Aaron, I'm, I'm a little bit of a word nerd. So I like jumped up, went into my husband's office, grabbed the dictionary, Googled, you know, Merriam-Webster. And I said, 
what is this definition of unique? There's something I must be missing. And first tier is so representative of. There is no one who's going to represent God and Jesus the way you will, Aaron. Nobody. You can't be replaced. You can't even be copied. There is nobody like you to represent him. The second one was prototype. God isn't going to just keep remaking errands. He says, this one's amazing. I, I'm not going to mass produce her. I'll just keep doing new things. But but again, no rival is the third one. And when I read without rival, I was like, wait a minute. There is no rival for my place in God. There is no rival between me and my sisters. There is no rival. We serve a God without rival. So it would stand to reason that we, his daughters, we, his sons, we, his children, are a people without rival. And then I became so overwhelmed by our day and our entrustment, even with all of its challenges without rival. We are the ones that carry a promise without rival. And I, I just, to be honest with you, Aaron, I, I like scribble scrabbled it in my journal as fast as I could, finished writing Girls with Swords, and then, you know, carried this one in my spirit until I could unpack it on paper. See, and I love that too, because you're talking about just the journey that God's taking you on and what he's speaking into your heart. And I think what spoke to me most, at least in the beginning of the book, as I'm like bawling, you know, through pages and like having to come back to it later, because I'm like, why is this woman talking like directly to me? I think what stuck out most for me is just that concept of rivalry. And I was always in sports as a young kid and I was constantly like overly competitive. Like I've got to win. I've got to be the best. And that's, that is really what we see out in the world. Like, that's a constant for girls. I'm just going to size myself up against everybody I see. And that starts really young. So what would you say, you just speak a little bit into the conversation specifically about rivalry and that competition that exists between girls. How do we break that cycle? Like, what does that look like? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to address that there is a, there is a challenge that's unique to women. There aren't as many places at the table for women. And so I do think women tend to fight for those places and they see other women as detractors or some kind of like horrible game of musical chairs where they're, if you don't get your butt on that chair fast, you're not going to have a place. And they have made that mistake. And so I feel like number one way to fight that is to actually create some sacred space in your life. And when you create some sacred space and let God speak some words and designations about who he says you are. I mean, how can I discover who I am outside of my creator? And so we don't even talk about that. What we do is we look at everybody else and we think, oh, I want to be like her, or I want to what she has, or I want to do what she she does. But I'm just going to be straight up honest here. I'm, I'm a 56-year-old grandmother, and I don't like what I see, the competition among Christian women. And how they talk to each other and how they talk about each other and how they compete with each other. And it's it's not it's not because I've never been there. It's just because I know that it will not take us where we want to go. And so I just thought, okay, I'm going to do like a cathartic exercise. Now, God has just told me that he loves me without rival. He has just told me that I have an identity without rival, that he wouldn't be happier or love me more or use what's on my life more if I was a male. Or if I was, you know, something that I'm not, he actually thinks this package that he created called Lisa Bevere is a package without rival. And so having this identity that is God breathed and God spoken, and, you know, sometimes God does change people's names. And then going from there, 
to discovering a God without rival, I was really captivated by the interaction of Simon Peter and Jesus and where he's asking them, you know, and we could we could put it in today's terms of, you know, who who are they saying I am on Instagram? Who are they saying I am on Facebook? Who are they saying I'm on Twitter? What are the bloggers saying about me, Jesus? You know, and he's taking a poll among his closest, most intimate friends. And they're like, well, you know, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some some say you're this. And then he said, but who do you say I am? And that Aaron question has always been in my mind. Who do I say he is? Is he a hard taskmaster? Is he somebody that wants me to work for ministry? Is he somebody, you know, that he's a good teacher? Is he somebody that's like a prophet? Or is he who he says he is? Is he the Christ? Is he the anointed one? Is he the son of the living God? Because when I have a revelation of who he is, that is the first time he can actually tell me who I am. And so in the book, you know, I loved how um, in the message translation, it said, you know what? You didn't read this. You didn't read this in a book. You didn't hear this in a sermon. My father revealed this to you. And he said, now, because God has told you, Simon, who you really are, I'm going to tell you who you really are. He told you who I really am. I'm going to tell you who you really are. And he said, you are Peter. And I think there's a lot of people, they're trying to get an idea of who they are when they don't have a revelation of who Jesus is. Yeah, there's definitely a gap there for sure. At least me growing up, you know, I I had really no understanding of who Jesus was. And like for a long time, even into my 20s, I was just like, because I didn't know the Bible. I just was like, you know what? Jesus was just this amazing teacher and just a beautiful man. And I, it was because I was so ignorant and my and my nose was not in the word of God that I just, I didn't understand who Jesus said he was, but who he is according to God's word. So I think, I think that's important, an important place to be in the conversation about identity and just understanding that you were uniquely created by this man who who is who he says he is, and we follow him because he's good. Right, absolutely. And you know, because a lot of people are in that same position. I, in the second chapter of the book, I actually went through every single you know phrase that God would say about Himself, of the I am or He is, and I listed all of them because He is love. I can love because He is merciful. I can forgive, and I just went through all of these things because there are there are innate characteristics of God that we as his children who are in Christ have access to. And so he is the Lord thy God who is one God. That means that doesn't mean he's in first place in a God competition. It means he's one in all. Everything by him, through him, from him was everything that we see created. And and I think that we've got a, an interesting dynamic right now in our day and age. Aaron, we have people that are They're great with acknowledging God. They even admire him. But worship demands that I bow my knee and worship demands that I bow my little ENFP, you know, perspective and opinions on things. And his word becomes final. Gosh, I went to this retreat this weekend and um, was totally convicted about worship. And I just saw I saw lots of women around me holding their hands up and just and just being there to to show God. Here's this acknowledgement of who. I know that you are who that you that you say you are, you know, the Lord, the most high, our God almighty. And it's just like worship for me has always been like, oh, okay, I'll sit in church and just sort of like the music plays. And, and what am I supposed to do? Not really, not really living into the truth that God is who he is. And, and your worship is just like, just acknowledging that just being there to be like, yes, I understand God that you are who you said you are. Well, and, and it goes even further. I mean, I 
I do. I'll just be honest with you. I, I go to church and I love worship songs and worship moments, but most of my worship that incur, occurs, occurs in private. Mm. It occurs at home. It occurs on my knees. Maybe there's music, maybe there's not music, but I would say the highest form of worship is obedience. And people don't like that word obedience, but if I believe that God is God, then I submit my will to his will, which is what Jesus did. And we can all say we're Christ followers, but if we're going to be Christ followers, we need to be obedient. So I want to talk about that too, because obedience is is definitely on my heart. Like you're obviously, you ca- you answered God's call for this book. You're you're getting out there with a message and l- knowing a little bit about you and just how you met your husband, John, and and your sort of early time in the church. And you, I kind of had that same view as you, where I was like, I would like pride myself on, I don't want to talk to women. Women are the worst. And you've really sort of stepped into what God's called you to do, which is pour into women about this issue. And I want to talk specifically about your step out, your obedience to God and doing that and talk specifically about purpose, because that's a very popular word in church nowadays to to know what your purpose is and to find your purpose. But what does that even mean? Well, you know, I, I mean, I love that it's popular, but, you know, when I when I got saved, we, we all heard plan. You know, we heard God has a plan for your life. And we were like, thank God, because I have absolutely no idea what I'm called to do. And so what we did is we didn't like seek the purpose or the plan. We sought God. And as our lives moved into places of obedience, places of worship, places of honoring him, I watched God open doors and the doors that he would open, like he had whispered to my my soul that he had he had called me to be an Esther to speak up for those that had no voice and that my father that that had been a call on his life and he had turned from it and that my mother that had been a call on her life and she was too wounded to carry it and he was like so now you can be silent or you can be obedient and I was like wait I've got four boys why would I speak to women I I was ahead of my time Aaron I was kind of like hey John you have no idea what an amazing package you've got. <laughs> I have a woman's body and a man's brain. And he was like, Lisa, I'm not comfortable with that. But I didn't didn't like what I had seen, the vulnerabilities, the cattiness, you know, whatever it was. God had to really talk to me and say, well, what you don't like is what you're not supposed to be. And so, yeah, I just, you know, I just stepped out. and, And to be honest with you, nobody is more shocked that God opened doors for me. You know, when I when I started out again, I'm a grandmother, 56, okay, grandmother of four. When I started out, it was not cool. It was not cool to be a female minister. But the first time my husband ever announced that I would be speaking in our youth group, well, he knew better than to like give warning. So oh, he yeah, because he wouldn't have done it. Well, well, because everybody would not come. So he did this thing where he was in Haiti and he was like, we've got a, my favorite preacher, somebody I really respect, he like built it up. Everybody was like, who's, who's coming? Who's coming? And then he did this little video announcement. I sat in the back and he said, my wife, Lisa, who I love, she is our guest speaker today. And you know what I saw, Aaron? I saw people stand up grab their metal chairs, fold them and throw them into the stack. I mean, they stormed past me. It was like, I'm not letting a woman speak to me. And these are people we had poured into in love for two years. And and then that night, you know, I was pregnant with my second son and, you know, I put Addison to bed. Someone climbed over our fence and banged on my bedroom window just to scare me. And, And this is the kind of things that hopefully you'll never go through. 
but these are the kind of things that I, I had to do it afraid. I had to do it obedient. There wasn't a whole lot of women examples that were nurturing and fierce. And that was a hard thing for me because I didn't want to be disconnected from my emotions. And, you know, I didn't want to ask a man or just serve everybody tea and talk about sweet things. I, I was aware that there was some huge problems and that women had been created by God to be answers to those things. And so that was, you know, that was kind of my mandate was, okay, wherever I see a problem, what is God's answer? How am I part of that solution situation? And yeah, and so, I mean, I'm, you know, yes, I travel and speak, but that's not my purpose in life. My purpose in life is to position other people to seek and save that which has been lost in their life. I'm so glad you said that. I had a I had a really interesting conversation yesterday with our our content manager Jess, who's just a personal friend of mine, and we were talking about this idea of, you know, when you talk about purpose and what you're supposed to do with your life, and we talk about this with parents, and we talk about this with girls all the time. Like, what am I supposed to do, and what was I made for? And for millennials, and Jess, she's 24. For millennials, that's that means, you know, you've got to do. And whether this is true or not, and it's not true, but this is just how how their brains are wired. You're, like you're you're designed or designated to do something huge with your life. So for them, it means you've got to have a platform, you've got to be famous, you've got to have a fortune, you've got to do something big for God. But what I just heard you say is it's not about what you're doing. It's really more about walking in relationship with God and just seeking Him and being after Him in everything that you're doing to win souls. So the question is, you know, when we talk about purpose, for a lot of people, if you're if you're living in the world and you're, you know, you've got one foot in culture, that means what's my platform? What's that big thing or that big message I need to have? How many followers do I have? How much fame and success and wealth do I have? What is real purpose? That's the question. Well, you know, first and foremost, my my ultimate goal, which I'm just going to tie it into purpose, is that my life would bring him glory, that I would hear well done, good and faithful servant. Now, how that unpacks is going to look different in different seasons and in different places of my life. You know, just stepping back for one moment, something that you said, I do think a lot of the millennials feel slightly adrift. And I think part of that is because they have so much inundated information, everybody constantly sending them messages that will contain and compare them, you know, so it's either like, Oh, look at you loser. I'm so much better. Or it is, you know, containing like, you can't do this. You can't be this, you you know, you don't know this. And I do get to talk to girls. One of my favorite things to do is to talk to young girls one-on-one because I feel like it's so important to, to not text them, but to actually put my hands on their shoulders, look them in the eyes and explain to them that I really believe that you don't know what you're called to do because God has his hand on you to do something that's never been done before. And that is not calling them elitist or exclusive. It is saying to them, Hey, we're coming into a day and a time that's going to look completely different than the day and time of your mother, than the day and the time of even five years ago. And so I need this generation to actually push aside some of the noise and ascend that mountain and hear from God, because it really is going to be crucial that they're empowered to do what they're created to do. And and so, again, end of the day, it's not well done, good and faithful servant. You had 
600,000 Facebook followers or a half a million likes or whatever, whatever the measure might be. If anything, it's very clear that when we're popular with people and we try to be a friend with the world, we make ourselves an enemy with God. And I want to bring some clarity here because I think there's some confusion. See, there is a difference between being a friend with the world and a friend to the world. We're definitely called to be a friend to the world. That means my motivation is compassion. But when I'm friend, a friendship with the world, that means I want what they want. The lust of the eye, meaning every I want everything I see. The lust of the flesh, wanting my own way. And the pride of life, which means wanting to appear important in the eyes of other people. All three of those things are the antithesis of pleasing God. So at the end of the day, I have to be happy if God says, Lisa, back backside of the desert, and all you're going to do is seek me. If that's obedience, then I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If I'm standing on the largest platforms of the world and God had told me backside, then I'm going to hear you were disobedient. You were willful. And I don't want to hear that. But I do think right now we, we do want to be culturally relevant. We have a world out there that needs our voice, but sometimes I'm afraid the Christians act like they have something more than we have. When we like want to take selfies with everybody that's famous and they're like, wait, please tell me, please tell me that your life has something more to it than mine. And so I really think that Aaron, in a lot of ways, we're making people sad because they want to know that what we have is real. Well, I love that you're saying that too. And I, 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 God's tugging on my heart a little bit. I want you to speak directly to the moms that are listening. There are a lot of parents who listen to our show, but specifically moms, you know, this can be a daunting task to think about as moms who are already like, uh, you know, grown up girls and now we're adults and we're trying to pour these truths into our daughters. And some of them are, you know, just starting out in life. What is the practical application for the truth that you're speaking? How do our moms, and this is really a question for me, like I've got a two-year-old daughter and this is what, what I would ask for myself. How do we as moms, grown up girls, come alongside this younger generation and start planting these seeds of truth and pouring this practically into their lives? What do those conversations sound like? And what do you think the goal of those conversations early on in their journey should be? Well, first and foremost, I want to say something to every mom because, you know, I have four kids and, and, and I know that you might be feeling overwhelmed or just not up to it or disqualified for this. But the truth is God handpicked you for that child and everything is going to tell you that you don't know what to do, but it's, it's a lie. God will grace you, lean into him, and he's going to give you strategies on how to be a mother. Having said that, I did it in my own strength for the first three or four years and almost drove myself crazy. Just, you know, yelling at one child, you know, putting my, putting myself in timeout, putting my kids in timeout, slapping at them, just, you know, going crazy. And God was like, are you going to do this my way? Or are you going to do this your way? And so the practical application of it is it's, it's really hard to try to do a Bible study with your kids. We've never done that well, John and I, but it's not hard to be living a devoted lifestyle. So our family talks about the word of God around the tables, which is actually what it says when we're walking, when we're talking, you look for constant life applications. And I prayed massive prayers over my kids and I dealt with my own issues. And I, I know this sounds kind of stupid, but here's the thing. I started to see that my son was saying that the fears that were in my head, he was saying them out loud. And, you know, 
mothers may experience with their daughter and they start to scare like, wait, wait, where is that coming from? Well, here's what I think. The fears and the things I don't face off with, they're going to continue to grow. And then they're going to meet my kids at another time in a stronger form. And so God said to me, your kids will either inherit my promises or your fears. So deal with your fears. Speak the word of God over your kids. I would line my kids up every night and just, you know, I've read to them. I sang with them. And then I would just look at them and I'd say, you are for signs and wonders. You are not for death and destruction. You are disciples taught of the Lord. And great is your peace and undisturbed composure. And they were like, what's composure? I'm like, it doesn't matter. You'll, you'll need it. <laughs> and it's just going to be there for you. And, and I would just speak the word of God over them. I would also share things with them. You know, I'd have them pray for me. You know, if I wasn't feeling good, but can you pray for mommy? Or, you know, if I messed up, which it's not even if, I'm going to just say when, when I messed up in my parenting, whether that was yelling or whether that was, you know, just not, not disciplining when I should have, because I was just, it just sounded too exhausting. I always came into my kids and I said, Hey, I was wrong. And I think when you can model humility and repentance for your kids, then it becomes a very simple thing for them to do. But I also recommend putting your kids to bed every night. I know that there's a lot of people that sleep trained or whatever, but kids will debrief stuff before they go to sleep at night. And so talking to them, rubbing their face and rubbing their back, whatever it is, creating an environment where you're consistent enough that if they want to talk, they can talk. Don't exhaust them. Expect a deep, meaningful conversation every single night. But if you create the opportunity for that, then it's going to happen. And just, you know, seriously for the moms, watch what you say about other people in front of your kids. They'll listen to you. Don't talk bad about the past or don't talk bad about other people. It's really more about what you're modeling than what you're saying to them. Like if you say, don't do this and then you do it, it's just going to contradict them. So I don't know. I think that we have a generation of daughters that are going to be phenomenal, but I think we need to model sacred space for them. I think we need to help them know how to hear from God. So rather than always being the answer, I think one of the most powerful things we can do as a parent is to cause our children to be independent of us and dependent on God. Thank you so much for wrapping that up so beautifully. And it was just so, it was so well said. I think for for the moms that are listening, just to leave with that encouragement to hold tight to those promises that God gives us and just to know that he's always faithful. And and this job, you were the only person truly designed to be the mother to your children, I think is just so powerful. I, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. And, you know, we have some series called Moms of Men. I, they're like a lot of them are free to watch and they're just hilarious. You know, so if your boys are always naked, it's okay. But you know, boys, I did boys, but I have granddaughters now mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm enjoying it immensely. And you, you just don't want to minimize who they are as female or minimize who they are as male. You and I never face some of the challenges that these kids are going to have to face, whether it's pressure to self-identify or whatever. I mean, if somebody had asked me to self-identify when I was 13, I would have said I was a unicorn. So there's, there's <laughs> you just too. A lot of, yeah, yeah, there's just a lot of pressure that is unnecessary on this generation. So we need to be safe places in our homes. Well, in a, in a you know, in a world now and in a society where embracing your identity and finding your purpose, you know, and wading through just the, the feelings of confusion and comparison. I cannot recommend this book enough. It, it literally changed my life to read just somebody real and honest and open and someone who who understands and has just has really accepted the word of God and just and just knows that book in and out. It's so it's such a powerful book. 
and I encourage everybody listening to read it. Lisa, will you tell everybody as we wrap the episode, we do something quick at the end, but would you just tell everybody where's the best place for them to find your book? How can they find out more about what you're doing because they need to? Okay, well, definitely they can find the book on Amazon or they can go to Messenger International and we have it on our website, messengerinternational.org. But it, and I know some of the the Christian bookstores will be carrying it. It's also on Kindle. It's also on you know iBooks, and so it's it's kind of everywhere. And then we're going to be giving it away free to a lot of cultures that do not have access to it because of persecution or poverty. But that'll be a little bit down the line. And so yeah, that's where they can get it. We on Facebook, we usually download a lot of different information, little video clips and quotes and stuff. You know, we love to minister to people, so it's just at least with your. Uh, under my name, Facebook and Instagram. And yeah. So tell me, tell me one last thing, Mr. Aaron, what made you cry? Oh my gosh. Just the part I think about comparison and it being the thief of joy. That was the first part where I was like, that is literally what happens. Like the second you look out into the world and you start to size yourself up against other people, you're just, you're just joyless. Like that is what happens. It's like you're void of happiness. You're void of the peace that comes with knowing who you are and that you don't have to compare yourself. Like it's, it's asinine to compare yourself to other people when you understand what it means to be made without rival. And it's, it, it's just something I'm so guilty of. And I spent so many years of my young life and adult life and mom life just living in comparison. And I try not to, but I'm a human person who makes mistakes and I just look out into the world and I have to pray for that to leave every day because it's so easy to do for women, for me, for everyone. Well, and I love that Paul said, I do not dare to compare. So he he knew how dangerous it was. And so I love that that spoke to you. And, and you know how ridiculous I am in that story. So yeah, so well, good job. And make sure that your daughter knows that she's the daughter without rival and that she doesn't feel that comparison thing because it is insidious. I will. I, thank you so much for being here. So we do a really quick thing at the end of each show. It's called The Scoop. It's three rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I think so. Okay, so the first question is, Obviously, at Bible Bells, we love heroes. So who was your hero growing up? Did you have one? Oh, Wonder Woman. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that new movie coming out, but but yeah, I, I, I liked Wonder Woman comic style. Yeah. She, she, had, she had boots and she had like a belt that was really cool. And she was able to like lasso people. I think that was kind of my thing. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Second question. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Let your past be your teacher and your future be your friend. Let your past be your teacher. Let your future be your friend. Okay, Lisa, third question. If you could have a secret superpower, what would it be? Flying. Flying. Easy and done. For the people listening, Without Rival, it's it's on Amazon. Find Lisa, Lisa Bevere, Facebook, Instagram, Find, find a way to plug in to tap into the, what this beautiful woman is doing. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. It has been amazing and good luck with the rest of your exciting book launch. Thank you, Erin. Let's do it again. Absolutely. It's okay to not be okay. This is a safe place. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed our conversation, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, thoughts about the episode, or ideas about how we can come together and support our girls, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at biblebells.com. Just let